Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Coming to you Yo. as it should from high above the mellow mushroom. Yes, we're back in the studios of uh, Mondo Grimes, a music aficionado, empresario <laughs> extraordinaire. Yeah, he's... Uh, and, uh, I got and, the tingly feeling. <laughs> And Aaron's all by himself with the tingling feeling. Uh, and this is a very special day because we're not bringing you one interview. No, we're not even. We are going off-site via the worldwide interweb to, uh, to, to visit with a fascinating person in the mountainous state of Utah. But we're not stopping there. No, no. We are also talking to fascinating guests who have traveled here all the way from the Lone Star State. There will be Texans here. Actually, well, there's always a Texan here. Because oh, I'm here. True. But we have special Texans here. <laughs> Actually, they were here a couple of weeks ago, but we recorded it. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah. Uh, meanwhile... Uh, it's like a traffic jam. It is a traffic jam of fun today. <laughs> <laughs> We're laying on the horn. We're riding someone's bumper. It's amazing. In, in my comparison, Mondo and I did great with the last episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, by the way, nice job on that show. Thanks. Well, that yeah. was fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, uh, just quickly bring us up to speed, will you, Aaron? It's good to see you. You know, uh, we went through the blog talk phase here on the Pirate Monk podcast where we were all on cell phones and lost visual contact. Uh, there were parts of that that I liked. Uh, I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody sees me. <laughs> no, but it is great to be able uh, to have the capacity now to be face-to-face with guests <clears throat> yeah. and then to interface, interact live via video and to see um, to see Aaron out there sitting in. I mean, that looks like the most uh, fun studio ever. I see instruments hanging all over the walls behind you. I see a keyboard to your right. Uh, you're looking very dapper today in that white T-shirt that you put on for us. Um, <laughs> right before I turn the camera on. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I angled the camera so you can't see that I'm not wearing pants. <laughs> okay. Thank you very, very, very much. Uh, qu- quickly, quickly, bring us up to speed, San Luis, California. Yeah, I suppose- it was supposed to rain today and tomorrow, and I was so excited, and nary a drop of rain. It sprinkled a little last night when my wife and I were awakened by a ruckus by our fence. Uh-huh. You know the fence that goes out towards the grass next to our house? A deer tried to jump that fence and got its back hoof caught oh. on the top. Oh. So I look outside, and there's a deer trying to pull its leg out, just like stuck. (laughs) Kicking the crap out of your uh, face. Yeah, it was was like 2 in the morning. And so when I went out, I was thinking like, okay, how do I even, it's a big deer, how do I help this creature without getting my own butt kicked? And luckily as I went out, it got scared enough to just wrench its leg out and run away. It was a good good 10 minutes of fence rattling. you know, didn't know what was going on. So it was an exciting night. Wow. But that was the first time I've ever seen a deer mostly hung upside down by my fence. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Wow. So there's that. That's good time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, top that. What what woke you up last night? Uh, I had to pee twice. But that's, yeah, same deal. <laughs> oh, man. No, nothing, no, nothing keeps me up at night lately between... Uh, Helping at church and stuff going on with business, man. When I get home, I am done. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, I, I'm asleep before the news is over. Yeah, uh, it seems like. But yeah, things are fun. I'm for the first time in a, ever. I'm actually teaching youth group on Sunday at church. Ooh. I'm making a PowerPoint. I'm trying to figure out how not to swear in front of a bunch of kids. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's just an entirely different level of stress and whatever, but it's cool. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I just, how do you teach commitment when you're looking at Ruth? 
Oh, you know? yeah, yeah. But it's actually, it's cool. What's, it's cool. The, what's the age range you're teaching? Uh, high school. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. So working with high schoolers so, that don't so understand commitment, you know. <laughs> Ruth, Ruth is making you stumble, too. <laughs> yes. I have that same problem when I'm trying to teach commitment, but looking at Ruth. <laughs> <laughs> she was hot. Yeah. She was a hot Moabitess. Moabitess. <laughs> Yeah, she would just go under somebody's blanket. But anyway, right. uh, <laughs> Mondo, what's cooking? <laughs> I don't know if I have anything to add. <laughs> uh, a lot's cooking, man. Yeah. But, but uh, you know, overall, I'm learning to to make the choice to have a good day. Yeah. 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 And and that's that's where I am, man. I, I think a lot of us. Everybody can relate to that at some point. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm making the choice to smile and making the choice not to bulldoze all my relationships because of crap going on. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? yeah, so, yeah. So uh, I remember, don't you hate when you say something to a friend that sounds so awesome and then you realize that you need to practice the same freaking thing? <laughs> <laughs> So yeah. I, I told I told a, I told a buddy of mine uh, a while ago. I said, "Man, don't allow outside influences to control your being and control your household more than the Lord and more than you." Uh huh. Yeah. You know, keep all that junk out. Yeah. That's easy advice to follow. It's easy advice. <laughs> it's, it's definitely easy to give. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah. easy. I, you know, walked away like, man, I gave him something to chew on. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to chew on that right <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, but having to make the choice, man. So you know. Only way is up, you know. That's yeah. it. That's it. Well, and uh, Nathan, uh, yeah, I just want to tell you, we, uh, Allie and I, had uh, the most wonderful trip last week to St. Louis. Uh, I was invited to speak at Covenant Seminary, and as I shared here in the podcast a couple of weeks ago, the invitation came as often it does. The suggestion that my wife would be welcome if she wanted to speak to the women—it's an invitation she's always turned down. And this time she accepted, and what a just a precious time that was. You know, I've done all this traveling, speaking all these years, and I never go alone. And you know, you always take somebody. You know, those times when Allie's come, she's always stayed in the hotel. But now to have her there, and then when she got a chance to speak, took her a, a couple of minutes to get her legs under her, but. Uh, but then, just she just did such a wonderful, beautiful job. And uh, she did a special event just for the women of the seminary. They responded so well and so warmly. It began a conversation that really needed to start. And uh, it was a great experience for Allie and me. Really loved uh, Covenant Seminary. So impressed with what they're doing there. They really have put feet to this understanding that uh, we learn together, we live together, we travel together. And so the, the students at that seminary are having an experience I didn't have when I was in seminary. Uh, they're actually uh, in groups together uh, on on a daily basis, and they're walking this out together. How cool is that? That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's about time to get to it. we got these guests lining up. I mean, I can hear them outside the door. They're ready for their... <laughs> They're ready for their turn here on the couch, so uh, we'll, we'll be, be right back with the other Nathan, Nathan Lee, filmmaker extraordinaire. Whoa, pirate life is a wonderful life, a roving over the sea. Give me a career as a buccaneer, it's the life of a pirate for me. Oh, the life of a pirate for me. And welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. So excited to have with us today Nathan D. Lee. Nathan's an Emmy Award-winning filmmaker. Worked in both uh, live uh, theater and film and television for over a decade. While he was in Hollywood, Nathan worked on a range of independent studio and TV movies where he learned the craft of filmmaking. Went on to earn a B.A. degree from Brigham Young University, where he directed and co-wrote a widely acclaimed short film, Inspector 42, uh, which was honored with a student Emmy from the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences Foundation, and uh, was also a regional award winner. After graduating, uh, Nathan wrote and directed uh, the documentary uh, Larry Galwick's No Regret, No Regrets, which uh, last year won an Emmy for cultural documentary. 
Uh, he's directed a, cult, a couple of television pilots, uh, and good gosh, sold uh, sold some scripts, some treatments. And uh, th- but we're not here to talk about any of those projects. We're here to talk about another one that's in the works, right? Uh, because, and uh, we need to know the explanation, for some reason, which we shall soon discover, Nathan is working on a film about porn and sex addiction. Welcome, Nathan. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so uh, what, what's the title of the film, and what, uh, what sparked your interest? What lies, what's the story behind the film? Uh, well, the, the name of the film is called The Heart of the Matter. Uh, for those who've been following it, it actually used to have the name Shamed, uh, which uh, has changed recently. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, sto- the, the initial idea for this film actually started with the director, uh, Jessica Mockett, who her and I had worked together on some TV commercials and things like that before and uh, several years ago, and we had actually started conversations about it uh, at the time mm-hmm. uh, before anything had been shot or anything had happened. And and uh, she had commented on you know what a big problem it is, specifically uh, in the Christian church, uh, that pornography is just rampant. And, and I had confided in her at that time that I had had uh, my own struggle with uh, an addiction to pornography. Mm-hmm. And... That was a part of my past, and and being able to overcome it was not only a part of my past, but is still a part of my present. And yeah. realizing, realizing, you know, that this is an important topic not just for me but for everyone, and then being a lover of film and the power that it has to really communicate stories, uh, kind of seemed like a, a natural fit, albeit a, a frightening one at first. To, to be so open and public about it, but but also realizing that you know one of the biggest problems with this problem is people's inability to talk about it. It's too taboo for people to talk about, and so we wanted to make a film that didn't just address it, but made it approachable and made it something we could talk about, so we could actually start the healing process. Mm. So, what what is the format of the movie? What I saw in the the trailer was a series of interviews. Um, is, mm-hmm. is that how it kind of flows, just topically with interviews? or? Yeah, we've actually, so we're still in the middle of making it. We do have a teaser trailer. Um, we've shot 24 interviews so far. Um, and they are the anchor of the film because the, the main point here is hearing real people, hearing and seeing real people share their real stories. Yeah. And so while we will have... We will have some, you know, some B-roll footage and things kind of linking things together thematically. The real central core is hearing these people share their stories, which is amongst, you know, just a few people we've shown clips to or shown the trailer to. Um, it's amazing how much people find strength just in being able to see someone share their story openly because it doesn't happen very much, and so just that the little pieces we've shared have made such a big difference. We're excited to have full film that's, that's anchored in that. Yeah. So Nathan, how did you find these people? Did you feel like a Craigslist ad out? Uh, <laughs> watch porn and sad about it. We want to video you talking about no. it, or what? <laughs> you know, it actually it actually started. Um, it started, you know, just like with Jessica and I started just initial conversations with each other. And then as we started talking with more and more people, everyone everyone had a story, whether it was them directly or, oh, my brother, my sister, my brother-in-law, my dad, my, whatever. People started sharing their stories on their own mm-hmm. uh, as we would tell them that this is a topic we were going to try and address. And, and uh, from there, you know, mm-hmm. enough people kind of started sharing stories and the network just started branching out. You know, and a bunch weren't willing to talk about it on camera, which is understandable, um, but a bunch were. And then that kind of, once we got that, uh, those stories started, we also started getting interviews with, uh, you know, different uh, experts in the field and, psych- you know, psychologists and people who study it, they kind of bringing more of a scientific foundation to it as well. What was it like going out and approaching people and asking them to talk about it? Was that... 
And I would think for me, I mean, to ask somebody, you're going to have to open up, you know, to start that process yourself. What was that like going and getting people to talk? You know, that's one of the, honestly, uh, not realizing it before, but as we've gotten into it, it's been one of the more exciting uh, pieces of this whole process, which is that I found the more that I open up my story, the more I share openly, the more people are willing to share themselves. I find that courage breeds courage. Yeah. And and so as as I'm not just coming at it like, oh, you know, I want to see what you've done and, oh, see what you've done wrong and I want to hear your story. It's, hey, you know what? I've been there. I know what this is like. I share my story and then people find courage in that. Um, and that's when people have opened up to not just to be on camera, but honestly, I've spoken at uh, different recovery groups and things like that before, and and it's amazing. Afterwards, people come up to me and just start to open up because, and for the first time, because they because we're so used to everyone hiding their faults, whether it's pornography related, sex related, or anything else, we just want to hide our faults. And so the moment someone is willing to talk about their imperfections, other people just naturally uh, become more com- comfortable and more courageous, really. Mm-hmm. Now, in the trailer, it, I was seeing as many women as men. Is that the way the film goes? And were the women harder to find? Because the, the, the cultural assumption is this is mostly a guy problem. Yeah, and... And it is mostly a guy problem, just pure statistics. That's, that is still the case. And part of the thing in the teaser is some of the women that you're seeing are the wives, uh, of men who had addictions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they kind of share, you know, it's kind of a two-sided thing of them sharing how their marriage was affected by it. And so some of those women were not actually struggling with it themselves, though some were. Um, and we definitely wanted to make sure women were represented because they are. And honestly, it's, that's can be even more scary uh, for the women who feel like, gosh, why is this happening to me? This is a guy's problem, and they feel more ashamed about talking about it. And so we wanted to make sure that was addressed. Right, 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 right. Uh, so what was know- some of the most... <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, <laughs> Uh, so we know kind of what led you to want to start the film, but what's your story? I mean, <clears throat> what brought you to the point that you said, you know what, I I have an issue with this or I have a problem with this. Um, you know, so take us back getting up to the point that you said, ah, I'm a sex addict. Yeah, it was, I mean, you know, my story, like, like so many men started as a teenager, um, and, you know, I was a teenager around the, you know, the birth of the internet and I was, am, was, and am still a large geek. And so, you know, I was dialing on the servers back in DOS version two. Um, <laughs> but, but, uh, but, you know, and then, you know, you quickly discover once, uh, images come to the internet, uh, what's out there. For me, it started as simply as looking at, you know, pretty pictures of, of actresses online. You know, they, I didn't, I wasn't looking for pornography. I just wanted to, oh gosh, I saw that actress. She was pretty. I want to see more pictures of her. Yeah. It started there. And of course, you know, those, they tend to pose for less and less, uh, dressed products and things. And, and so that's kind of where it started. And I, I kept it, you know, I was raised a Christian and, you know, I knew, I knew the drill. So I just hit it and I lived the double life. I wasn't, I wasn't interested in rebelling against my parents or my church. I liked it, mm-hmm. but I also liked what I was doing on the side. And so I just kind of kept that and and just lived two lives for years and years. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't until, gosh, I was 18, 19 that I started, that I really knew that I had a problem. Mm-hmm. And I really started realizing, gosh, I I can't stop this. And that was, that was really the scary part when, you know, the whole time I've been telling myself, yeah, I can, I know this isn't right. I shouldn't be doing this, but I kept going. Um, and then I tried, I tried to stop several times and, 
and it started becoming actually that going to church uh, started making me feel more out of place. Um, just just feeling like, gosh, I, I I don't feel like I'm I'm, ma- I'm meshing with the spirit of God here. Some I feel dark. Mm-hmm. And uh, but as I tried to stop, I just couldn't. I, you know, like so many, like almost everyone, they want to try and stop on their own. And I, I couldn't do it. And uh, one day I finally, uh, finally decided that I was going to, to come clean and tell someone. And, uh, you know, gosh, opening up for the first time and then ultimately even telling my parents that this was a problem I had been struggling with, I was amazed at the love that I received back. Not that, that I didn't get the judgment that I was fearing, that I received love and mm open arms and people wanting to help. Um, and, you know, and it, it, it is an addiction. It's not just that you want to stop and you want to stop genuinely because I got to the point where I did, but it has such a strong hold on you that no matter, at that point, just turning to God, just turning to the scriptures, it's, boy, it's still so hard to break. Um, because it just has this addictive grasp on you. And so it took, um, gosh, it took, I mean, I was able to stop for a few years, and then it slowly started creeping its way back in and uh, got even worse. Mm-hmm. And th- at this point, I'm in my 20s, and, you know, I'm, I'm interested in, you know, I'm interested in serious relationships with girls, and I'm having this deep, dark problem. And... You know, and it was just something that I, I started beating myself up over. And anyway, I, it just kind of, it's a, a lot longer story than that, but it just led yeah. to a downward, downward spiral. Um, and I actually got to a point where I felt so, so dark, um, so lost that while I never contemplated suicide, I wanted... I wanted my life to end. I wanted to get in a car crash or something that would finish the job. Mm. And it it was there that I started realizing that I needed real help um, because no no one should ever not want to live. That just doesn't make sense. And so I ended up going, um, calling an anonymous helpline and started seeing a therapist, which which was a huge help um, just to be able... Again, at the time, it's not so much that it's a professional, more that it's someone I can talk openly with without fear of judgment from anyone. Yeah. And I think, and I think that's one of the important lessons uh, to learn, you know, in the church is is that we can be therapists for each other. The therapist training, I don't think, helped me so much as someone that I could talk openly with about my fears, my doubts, my struggles, my addictions. Um, and that ended up being a huge help, and and I, and I couldn't have done it without the help of my parents and and the people at my church that I started more and more talking to about it. And that's one of the truths that I've learned is that it cannot be beat on your own. Mm-hmm. It cannot be beat in anonymity. You have to have people to rally around you and to strengthen you, and you can strengthen them. And so. Those are the truths that I learned, and you know, as a filmmaker, and that being my love, you know, and my craft, it's it's kind of a natural thing to be able to to do to do what I learned, you know, to give what I learned so importantly to others through this medium. Mm-hmm. Well, I do love your uh, your new title, "The Heart of the Matter." Uh, I think it's crucially important for us to look below the surface of the behavior and understand yeah. and understand what's driving it. I do know, you know, as a fellow uh, recovering sex addict, uh, you know, I was. Uh, it's it's odd. Shame drives us away from people and into isolation, where yeah. our loneliness is intensified. And I don't. Yeah. <laughs> and then I used porn to medicate my loneliness which only made me mm-hmm. lonelier and yeah. less less and less capable of engaging in real relationships with real people yeah. less and less connected yeah. real time even with the people I was engaging with 
from day to day. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm sure you know that feeling of sleepwalking through life, uh, seeing people, but as though there is some kind of a, a, a transparent barrier between you and them because uh, emotion. Yeah, and there's times they'll even they'll even call you know. Yeah. They may call you. They may say invite you out to do something, and you actually start turning it away. Yeah. Right. Because you're like, no, no, that's okay, and. <laughs> Yeah, you turn back to the porn, even, and you were just invited out to do something real with real people yeah. in a real social setting, and you turn away from it. It yeah. starts to actually, yeah, repel what is yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Nathan, what was the most surprising thing that you learned from listening to other people's stories? What What surprised you the most? Um. Honestly. Uh, honestly, for me, as I, as I kind of think through all of the interviews, um, and, and it's not so much a surprise so much as kind of relearning something I've always known or been taught, um, and that is just, and, and I don't want to sound cliche here, but honestly, just I, the thing that was so amazing is learning just how beautiful uh my brothers and sisters in Christ are here on earth. Just how amazing their souls are. We're surrounded by people that are struggling, that are courageously trying to fight through this, realizing, gosh, we are all in this together. And, and you know, we we're kind of are told that, but when you sit there and listen to these people mm-hmm. sharing these stories, you're like, yes, I know that. I've been there. Yeah. And they share the loneliness of this pain that you totally know. That God, why It's just that revelation. Why are we hiding our pain? Our, we can. We, there's so much love there if we just share it with each other. And and just realizing how many people had stories similar to mine, not not in a way that diminished them, but in a way that made me love and appreciate them and feel so much closer to them feel like they're my truly my brothers and my sisters in a way that I think the church should have. We should all be we should all have that unity together and that I found comes when we open up to each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the beauty of a no bullshit conversation. Uh, <laughs> and you can't yeah. can't use that phrase in church. So where are we really at what we're after, yeah. I'm sorry, Aaron. Where are we at with where are we at with the process of the movie? What uh, what can be expected? What can the listeners be expecting? Yeah, so we've got um, so like I said, we have 24 interviews that have been shot. Uh, we're in the process of editing those right now uh, to see, kind of put them together and see, okay, what holes are we missing uh, in our narrative here? Um, and then once we kind of have that locked in, we will. Uh, we will get additional and we'll shoot the finishing interviews to fill in those holes so that we can complete the film. Uh, the goal is to have it uh, done and ready for distribution uh, next year, uh, hopefully in the third quarter-ish next year. Um, so we've raised, uh, there is, you know, money is, is still needed. We've recently raised enough money to keep uh, editing and, and putting this uh, assembly together so far. Um, and you can uh, visit us. We have a Facebook page. Um, that, uh, if you just uh, look on Facebook for Heart of the Matter movie, uh, we have that page. And there's links there if you're interested in donating uh, to the cause. Um, but at this point, yeah, we're, we're putting together this edit and, and hopefully be able to have it out, uh, out to uh, both the individuals to buy and Christian churches uh, around the country to be able to buy and show their congregations by the end of next year. So log on to Facebook, and uh, you will keep up with the news on the heart of the matter. If Don Henley ends up on that page, <laughs> you are a wrong site. Would that be fair to say? <laughs> that is definitely fair to say. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, I hope some people start to uh, to watch this as you race towards the finish line, hope you get the funding as well. So I know people might want to be a part of that. Thank and you. all the information that you want can be had at Facebook, Heart of the Matter Movie. Thanks, Nathan. It's been great having you on the show. And we'll be checking back 
with you, hopefully, in the months ahead to see how the progress of the project is coming along. We look forward to that. Thanks for having me. All right. So long. And we'll be right back on the Pirate Monk. Yo-ho, yo-ho, a pirate's we're back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. There's a bit of joviality going on here. You just can't stop that. <laughs> We've got our second guest coming up. Now, we're reaching back in the audio bag here. I'm, I'm trying to picture the audio bag. So tell us a little about what's coming up now, Nate. Well, we had a visit here a couple of weeks ago from uh, Jenny and Brian Brian Clayville. Yeah, uh, it's easier to remember her. She really makes a big impression. Yeah, she's dynamic. Yeah, she is. And uh, Brian, by his own admission, is kind of an understated guy. Yeah, but impressive in his own way. And they have a story—a story of survival, the survival of uh, of a couple walking through infidelity. Yeah. So, uh, well worth a listen. Here they are. Coming up. Whoa, a pirate's life is a wonderful life, a roving over the sea. Give me a career as a buccaneer, it's the life of a pirate for me. Oh, the life of a pirate for me. And we're back on the Pirate Monk Podcast here with our special guests. They drove in, well, flew in, I guess, all the way from El Paso, Texas. Brian and Jenny Clayville. Uh, marriage coaches, among other things. Jenny also works as the creative and arts director. Uh, uh, creative and worship pastor? How do you do that? We're just worship and creative arts. It's just Oh, nice. Yeah, so basically I do oversee Sunday gatherings and mm-hmm. the music and uh, the, the, yeah, the musical worship part of everything. So. And you also call yourself the CEO of your home. I do. Yeah. You guys have how many kids? We have two boys. Mm-hmm. All right. Do you, ever have to, do you ever have to fire anyone in your business? I fire. Part of I fire CEO. myself every day. <laughs> um, and Brian, you're a sales guy. I am. I've done mostly financial stuff, but now I'm back in the mortgage business after taking off the, the roughest years in the financial crisis. Okay. Good, good, good. And uh, you all are transplants to El Paso. You came there from Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Were you Correct. met? Is that true? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to just uh, kick back and let you, in your own words, tell your story. How did God make you useful in this whole business of helping to rescue marriages? I think it's interesting that you say that. I don't think we set out with that in mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like, like we talked about, I do worship stuff so my career path was really just to lead worship and kind of there's not a lot of women at that time when I first started Mm -hmm. and I just always thought that's what I was going to do and um, when we first got married it was interesting because I remember saying to to Brian um, if you ever cheat on me I'm out of here and uh, you know I grew up with my parents divorced I had a very closed-minded version of what a marriage should be I I didn't know uh, the path of you know how much it it took a marriage took work took you know it was like a happily ever after instead of the once upon a time as Mm -hmm. we all kind of have figured out once we get married Um, and so as you know we're kind of trucking along and for a long time we couldn't um, I think something that played into it is we tried to have children, and then we were told we were infertile. And so, the romance and and mm. the you know the, the part of marriage that's supposed to be fun kind of became a chore, mm-hmm. and we kind of lost ourselves in that. If we weren't lost before, I know I can see for myself I was completely lost, and my version of understanding who Jesus was and who and what grace meant was kind of lost in all that. And so, one um, one year I went on a mission trip with my church and um within that leadership there you know there's a bunch of there was a large mission trip but there was a uh, a friend of ours that was there um and we just uh our family were we were all close we were friends and we um myself and him we just were inappropriately close and Mm. 
at the end of the trip, um, it kind of launched us into just not really kind of, you know, you get that camp high or that mission high, and I mistook that for something that it wasn't. And mm -hmm. I pursued, um, well, he pursued um, um, an, an inappropriate relationship and yeah. the affair, and I chose it. Yeah. So I'm not going to say I don't know how I got there, because I, when it happened, I said, yeah, I'm going to do this. Yeah. And so I chose to have an affair for over two years. I mm. uh, kept it from my husband, and um, at that time, Chance was already born, mm -hmm. our firstborn, and so obviously kept that from him, too, and... Um, at the the long the long story short is at the very end of all of that, um, the relationship was over, the affair was over, and um, it came to a point where Brian and I just I didn't feel like I knew him. Mm -hmm. I knew he didn't know me for who I was, mm -hmm. and I wanted to confess and I wanted to tell him, but every story I've ever heard out there. Your marriage is over. Yeah. There, you know, and then your kids have to deal with, you know, not having your parents live together. And so I just kind of made this decision, well, you know, I miss God. You don't hear him when you're living in the dark. And mm -hmm. I missed my husband, and I didn't really know what to do, but I just decided it's more important to keep it a secret and just I will I'll hold this in myself. And then we met um, really good friends of ours now um four years ago mm -hmm. almost five years ago almost now um justin and trisha davis and at the time um they didn't they hadn't written the book and all that stuff but they were kind of walking the same path um just ahead of us and you know they t told us their story of um restoration and justin uh I think they were here before too that you know Justin mm -hmm. had had an affair and they had worked through it and their marriage had now th is just thriving. Yeah. And they shared their story with us and it was the first time I had ever heard a marriage make it. Yeah. Not only a marriage make it but in the church like not just oh we're okay and kind of like when we don't talk about it it's no we talk about it. Wow. You know but but uh and, and we're moving forward with this and our marriage is good because of it and I just thought I want that. I don't know if that's going to happen with us, but I feel like it's time. That was all I needed from God. And so literally that night, I sat down and I told Brian everything. And our newborn at the time, Paxton, was sitting in the room. He's like, you know, laying down in bed. And I said, honey, I need to tell you something. And I just confessed. Mm -hmm. And I told him that an affair, he immediately knew who it was. Um, it all Like all the dots kind of connected for him. And um from that point on, uh, I think that was the hardest decision of my life, but from that point on, not that it got easier, but that's when healing of my life, I think, holistically really began. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and Brian, give me, give me some of this from, from your side of the the equation. Yeah. Um, I was kind of in shock that um, Justin, who we just met, we sat down for dinner and it wasn't even five minutes and he unloaded this whole story on us. Mm -hmm. And so I was still kind of in shock from that because I've never had anybody share something that big, that personal yeah. at first meeting. Yeah. And then, um, you know, obviously when Jenny said I need to talk to you, it was like, okay, what's this about? And then hearing the story, yeah, it made sense, but at the same time it was like, I think my first reaction was shock and then just I was surprised that she was still there yeah because um, it had been over a year I think since it had ended mm -hmm. um, so I was just a lot of things made sense but a lot of things didn't make sense mm -hmm. so it was just kind of a state of confusion um, it was a it was a long process of trying to figure out what it all meant mm. Mm. were you aware of uh, anger at the moment that you uh, discovered what was going on? No, it was more of a... The only way I can really describe it is shock. You know, yeah. It's just kind of a... Like if you get injured really badly, you don't feel all the pain immediately. You're just... Right. Your body just kind of goes into protection. Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. kind of... It was like a revelation of, oh, okay, 
this makes a lot of sense because there was so much that was off that I couldn't figure out. Yeah. But um, it doesn't make sense because I just didn't believe that that was possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what happened next in the restoration process? Now, Jenny, you said you didn't know what to expect. You were just laying it out. Mm-hmm. I think... So what happened? I think I was truly, everyone in my life has left me, mm-hmm. um, my dad, my mom, all of that. And so I honestly expected Brian to as well. I mean, he had every right to. I had already um, decided I would spend the rest of my life trying to make it up to him, whatever that meant. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did. I expected to um, have to grovel. And... Brian didn't make me do that. Um, it wasn't easy. We, from that point on, we we jumped headfirst into counseling um, and into coaching. Um, I think at one point, I, I was at. Well, I mean, obviously, most of the issue was with me. I was in um, the counselor's office like two or three times a week, mm-hmm. <laughs> just digging through stuff. And and as we worked through it, I realized. It was much less about the affair and much more about this dysfunction and this um, disconnect of who I am in Christ Mm -hmm. and who I am as a person Mm -hmm. um, and my understanding of what love and grace really was. And so Brian and I, Brian didn't, I guess you could tell you this sad story, but he didn't decide right away Mm -hmm. that he was going to stay with me. He didn't Mm -hmm. say, oh, I forgive you. I think that's um, sometimes the first mistake because we want it to just smooth stuff over and he didn't do that and so um, I don't know if you want to share your side a little bit yeah the first first thing I did was just to get away for a few days and get some clarity and um, I didn't go talk to my closest friends because it felt really um, uncomfortable and so I went to talk to somebody who was a little bit further removed but someone I had known for a long time and uh, gave me a place to stay mm-hmm. away, so no distraction with kids and yeah, um, routine of life trying to figure this out. But it didn't take long for me to decide, okay, I want to fight for this, but um, I had to know that she was fully in it mm-hmm. um, before I was going to fight for it. Yeah. And so um, it was probably a good five or six months before I said I forgive you because mm-hmm. I didn't want to say it and not mean it yes. I didn't want to yeah. say it and waffle back and forth mm-hmm. and you know for a couple of days I considered leaving because our marriage was pretty dysfunctional on a lot of levels mm-hmm. and we were so different in how we handled conflict and how we handled how we processed life how we communicated everything was a mismatch so it was like it was. It felt like a constant battle. Yeah. And I was just kind of tired of fighting, and so I was thinking that would be the easy way out. I had a reason to get out, but then yeah. I had two boys that were going to be raised, bouncing back and forth between their yeah. parents, and I mm-hmm. just that was probably the the first thing that moved me. Mm-hmm. And then just reflecting on stuff, I'm like, yeah, it's been difficult, but there was a lot of good reasons why we got together in the first place, and so our counselor helped us focus on going back to the very beginning why did we why did we fall in love in the first place and what was it that you know that attracted us to each other and so she said just consider your old marriage dead mm-hmm. wow. and then well, but it, go ahead I'm curious what did you each you know I walk through this with people and they make that decision to to divorce to separate usually it's because they're holding on to something Mm -hmm. they're deciding I want this in my life and I'm going to hold on to this so like you just said there were all these things that were really hard and I had the right so what did you each have to surrender to stay together and was it worth it well I'll start with the the second part of the question yes it was worth it but um, well, that's think, good. <laughs> the, <laughs> good, good answer, Brian. <laughs> the first, 
the first part of the question is good because when we're coaching couples, we see this too. The ones that start to thrive and, and pay attention are the ones who are willing to sacrifice whatever they need to sacrifice to go forward and be 100% invested in marriage. And I think for each of us, I had to sacrifice some pride. Um, I had to be willing to look back and go, okay, yeah, I was wronged here and I was wronged here, but how did I respond? And did I did I do the things I needed to do to be a good husband? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the answer in a lot of situations was clearly no. So I had to own up to that, even in the midst of pain. Mm-hmm. And um, I'll let Jenny speak for what she had to sacrifice. Well, in every marriage has a percentage so each person owns a percentage not just marriage but every relationship mm-hmm. so in the 100 percent of who we are i can easily say looking back that i i can clearly own 80 percent of the dysfunction and mm-hmm. brian can clearly own 20 percent so it's not like i think a lot of times when people hit crisis they're like it's all your fault and mm-hmm. it's all your fault well no i mean there's there's two people mm-hmm. you know and so um, I owned the junk that I threw in, and Brian owned the junk that he threw in. And I remember um, our counselor saying to us, I know you guys don't want a divorce. At one point, we had finally said, we don't want a divorce. I know you don't want a divorce, but a divorce in your marriage has to happen because you can't take just the good in the past, how many, you know, I think at that point it was like nine years in our marriage. Mm-hmm. We can't just take the good because some of the good is intertwined with the bad and some of it is intertwined with the lies. Mm -hmm. So when you mourn the loss of that marriage, Mm -hmm. you have to mourn the good with it. And so we literally had to start over. And it was a the the day that Brian said, I forgive you, it was um, what was amazing to me was that he never threw it in my face again. Mm. And it wasn't like we didn't talk about it because, uh, I mean, we talk about, like, we coach other couples. And I don't want people out there to think, oh, we just started coaching couples right away. That's that's not it. I mean, we had a huge healing process. And then we started to share, you know, in, what happened in our pain is really where where our story kind of is now. And yeah. so um, if we can help other people through it, that's that's what we want to do. But his the, where he said, you know, he let the pride go. He never threw it in my face again. Mm. Um, and when things were triggered and, and issues kind of came up and we kind of go, oh, this feels familiar, we talked about it. And yeah. um, on my side of it, um, I had to kind of live a whole new life. So I lived, even though I did not live defensively, I was the biggest offender in this. So I did not get defensive when I had to prove where I was. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, I took trips away, and this is me spending time with that guy. Um, but at the same time, as a healthy human being, you need to take time away for yourself or go with you know people of the same gender. So the first trip away I took was with other girls. Mm-hmm. I went above and beyond and made sure he knew I was with girls. So I didn't drive out by myself. Mm-hmm. I had a girlfriend pick me up. Yeah. And when we were there, we took pictures. And they all knew my story, and so like they would call in and say, oh, she's here now. And so it was just really proving, even though I think he trusted me again, I wanted to make sure that that wasn't broken ever again. Right. Uh, not running in cars with other guys, even if mm-hmm. it's a short trip. Things like that where I just, um, like emails, getting emails in and just CCing him in. Right. Um, just all of those things that you think are not a not a big deal. Passwords to all of my my phones, my computer, everything. He has access to Facebook, all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, just going above and beyond and making sure that I was a person of integrity uh, and not the person that was hiding stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I resonate so much with your story, and identify I identify most closely with you, Jenny, because in my marriage, Jenny, I, was, I got I have two questions. They, <laughs> But uh, Aaron can't hear me, so he's going to go ahead and uh, ask his questions. Go ahead. I have two questions based on that question, or based on that answer, Jenny. And I think it's based on your coaching. Mm -hmm. Uh, With with that idea of percentages, I think there's often people that that have that idea that that there is the person that's 100% wrong. So my first question is, did you come to the conclusion that you were 80% wrong 
because of the affair or was there just a whole lot of stuff you were bringing into your marriage because of the brokenness of your past and being abandoned and so all of that and was it really hard for you to accept that you were bringing in the lion's share of brokenness because most people want to get to that well it's 50-50 we both bring in an equal amount of brokenness mm. that seems hard for people mm. I think that's a great question I don't think I recognized it was 80% at the beginning I think the more I um, kind of journeyed through it with my coaches and my counselor I was like oh shoot I am messed up and so it was like okay I had to realize that some of this was my choice as an adult bringing it in mm-hmm and some of it was I just didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. And so part of healing was realizing, okay, let's just say, you know, percentage-wise, I, I could have said as an adult I was responsible for, let's say, 50. I would say more because I'm, I'm somewhat intelligent. So I would say I was actually, you know, responsible, let's say, for 60%. But there was that 20% that I was unaware of and I was reacting and responding from things that happened in my childhood and wasn't even aware that I was being that way. But in our household, when I was growing up, my mom, I mean, for those that can't see me, I'm Chinese. I'm as Chinese as they get, born in America. But at the tension of growing up with a very Chinese mother is um, you have this culture that you're living in the United States of America, but you're supposed to be living as a Chinese Mm-hmm. culture and so like there's you just don't know what's going on half mm-hmm. the time I'm, mm-hmm. I'm still confused and so um, I was always living on eggshells so I didn't really know the difference and so when I married this sweet man my only response in him you know you know whatever he was doing like if I asked him a question he didn't respond right away why are you so like I just responded the same way she did you know even though I didn't like it how she mm-hmm. was doing it to us I didn't know any different so this man just felt like he was trying to keep the peace all the time, which is so, so tiring and exhausting, you know? And so he thought he was like, he felt like he was living on eggshells. Mm-hmm. So that part of it, I can own because I was not aware ahead of time, I guess. I can own it that I brought it in, but it doesn't mean that I necessarily was responsible at the time. But now that I do know about it, I am absolutely responsible for that, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you guys, <clears throat> you guys have two kids, mm-hmm. and like, uh, we know a little bit about your growing up, mm-hmm. and I don't know much about yours, Brian. How do you guys use what you've gone through in your relationship? How does that inform how you parent your kids in terms of what they see, what they don't see? Um, I mean, do they know what you guys have walked through, what mm-hmm. you're walking through? We actually coach this with um, other people. Uh our journey has been somewhat public. Mm-hmm. I worked at a pretty large church at the time, and so as as I've confessed to him, um, I had to confess to my friends because I was lying to them too. Yeah. And then as the confession grew, I had to confess to a church. Um, and when I say had to, Brian had encouraged me. I had to work with that in my own heart because... And I don't think this is the route for everyone, but because I was a more public figure, and I mean, I'm not famous, but like, I, I was a big blogger, mm-hmm. and, and I mean, I was lying to everybody. So I think the size of my confession had to match the size of the group I lied to. Oh. Mm-hmm. So our story is online. It is public. Uh, at one point... Um, the Oprah Winfrey Network. We shared a story in the Oprah Winfrey Network. And so mm-hmm. it's not all it takes. I mean, our kids are um, chances eight and Paxton is five. And all it takes is by the time they know how to Google, mm-hmm. they know about mommy and daddy. And so Chance does remember us going through this. He remembers me crying a lot. And um, we decided a long time ago that we would share our story with them um, age appropriately. Yeah. So they know. Um, they know, especially Chance, they know that Mommy was had an inappropriate relationship with another man that was not Daddy, and they don't understand that fully yet, but yeah. they know so um, so that as they keep growing, we'll keep sharing what's, sure. you know, a little bit more yeah. detailed. I don't think they need to know all of it, but eventually they'll know as much as everybody else. 
And I think, um, I think what's important in this is so often we try to protect our children that we do more harm. Yeah. Um, there's so much in the Bible and, and so much in, in psychology is about generational sin. And, you know, we talk about how if you grow up in an abusive family, your chances of abusing your own children is greater. If you grow up in a divorced family, your chances of divorce is greater. Right. And um, you have to be proactive about stopping that. Yeah. And changing those behaviors and those habits. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have two sisters, and they're both married, and they work really, really hard to not be divorced. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. and but it's so far it's a miracle because everybody's still together, and, yeah. and and it's um, I think that's just God's grace on us. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 Um, do you have any guidelines? So what's happened? <laughs> Right. Are we going to edit Go this ahead. out? Yes, yes. yes. Okay. All right. All right, it's my turn, it's Eric. It's your turn, Nate. Okay, good. <laughs> um, do you have any guidelines on disclosure? Uh, I know that very often, uh, you know, I get brought in on situations where usually it's the guy who's got something to tell the wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes I get called in uh, when the mushroom cloud is still in the air. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I get called in when a, a small piece of the story has been given, but the whole story is still held in reserve. Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind of advice do you give on uh, disclosure? How? What? What is? I understand that every situation is different, but what are the basic guidelines for how do you tell a partner uh, that you've been unfaithful in any way? Um, the, our experience was Jenny told me a part of the story early on, mm-hmm. and then we were in counseling for a while before she shared everything. Right. And so that was not the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I can understand why. Mm-hmm. One, you've already shared enough to cause a lot of pain. You don't want to make that worse than it already is. Two, you want to hold back some form of respectability mm-hmm. and say share just enough mm-hmm. um, and then you know keep the rest hidden yeah um, my from my perspective the best thing is to get it all out mm-hmm. right up front so you know exactly what you're dealing with and you know that they're being honest because mm-hmm. the more it comes out later then it's like okay well we were starting to rebuild trust now I'm not sure if that yeah. was misplaced mm-hmm. um, so that and then secondly don't ask questions that you don't want to know the answer to mm-hmm. ah there you go because there is there is too much yeah um there's certain things especially for guys i think they don't need to know because we're so visual yeah um and that's the one the number one thing i hear from other men is how do you get the images out of your head how do you yeah. get the you know that how do you stop reliving it yeah um imagining your wife with someone else or whatever yeah. it may be yeah and I mean that's so the less you know mm-hmm. detail wise probably the better yes as long as you know the the heart of the story yeah I think that's good enough a wise friend of mine when we were going through this my friend Angela she said you share in categories not in details yes and so but you got to share it all in categories don't leave anything out yeah but yeah, yeah. and then you I rem- she I'm thankful for her because there was like a couple of times that Brian said he asked a question and she said if it feels like if it feels like to you because if he asked me mm-hmm. I'm going to answer him but she yeah. said say are you sure you really want to know the answer to that yeah, yeah. just pause because once you say it you can't yeah. you can't unsay you can't it un- you know yeah right yeah, and yeah. so um, a good example is um, like one of uh, one of the people they're coaching a, a long time ago um, said. You know, she wanted to know everywhere that they had been. Yeah. And I was like, no, you don't. Yeah. All you know is that they were intimate and they did it many times. But you don't need to know where. You don't need to know in your house where. I mean, that changes everything. Yeah. You yeah. know, why Why is that helpful or yeah. beneficial in any way? Yeah. yeah. So that's a good example. That's the details versus the categories. Yes, yes, yes. I'm grateful that my, my wife uh, was wise enough to, to uh, accept categorical answers and not press for detail because I have seen other wives torture mm-hmm. themselves, just torture themselves. Mm-hmm. 
and poison the home and poison every experience. Right. And okay. women are very good at that. They yeah. create their own story in their head, and mm-hmm. they think for some reason um, that if they know why or mm-hmm. they know more, mm-hmm. that it will make more sense. Yeah. But what it does is just creates this contention, you know, this place where they, they can't get over it. It makes it worse. So. Okay. So what advice, if you could give one piece of counsel for uh, a spouse that maybe is coming to that place where they want to confess what's the beginning of the journey for couples that are dealing with this Um, the only advice I think I can give is what we've done and I feel like we've been on a, a good path so a few things rally people that love you around you you mm-hmm. cannot do this alone um, and you need accountability. So pick a couple friends, whatever it may be, and just say, hey, I don't think you need to tell them before you tell your spouse, but say, hey, I need you to be on the standby. Yeah. And I'll tell you why in, in, in a little bit. Yeah. And and that's okay. Um, and when you confess, like Brian said, if I could do it over, I would just, just have shared it all. I just, watching him hurt, I didn't want him to hurt anymore, and mm-hmm. I didn't process through that, holding back would make him trust me less. Yeah. And so if you're going to do it, do it 100%. Share the whole thing, get it done with, and then from there, be ready to know that as the offender, that it's not over the minute that you confess and that you said, I'm sorry. Yeah. What we hear is, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I said, right. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm like, I know you did, but you <laughs> should be sorry for a lot longer. So yeah, yeah. the truth is you just need to sit back and go, okay, you need to sit in a place of humility and realize that you might be there for years. Yes. And you need to be okay with it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's not about you anymore. So as the offender, whatever happens from this side on, like from Brian's side on, I need to be ready and okay with that. And right. so... Um, and, and and so doing that, I think those are the main things. There's a few other pieces like you gotta be ready to jump into counseling and yeah. coaching. Uh, we say counseling and coaching are different. Counseling is like if you get cancer, that is your doctor that tell, gives you the prescription of this is the chemo you should do. Yeah, this yeah. is what all of that. Um, a coach is simply someone that has survived cancer. Right. Okay. So they're just a few steps ahead of you. And I think it's important because you feel so alone in your journey that. You know, you you just need someone to to walk with you through that, and so there there are so many resources. Um, mm-hmm. We're a part of Refine Us Coaching, and they are great with providing coaching and people to kind of walk through all all of this. It doesn't ha- you don't have to have something as big as an affair in your life, but just anything that even if your marriage just doesn't feel quite right. I mean, we don't talk about it. We just think, oh, it's supposed to be great, but. Marriage is hard. Yeah. yeah. It is really, really hard, and you are not alone. And for you to sit there and pretend like everything is fine, it's just going to make things worse. So. Yeah. So tell us again how uh, how our listeners can find you, or how they can, what, what where should they go if uh, if they want help with coaching, or if they want specifically to send a note to you guys. Uh. We use, it's mostly through my blog. It's just jennyclayville.com, J-E-N-N-I-C-L-A-Y-V-I-L-L-E.com. Um, there's a section that says contact. You just click on that, and it'll send us an email. Uh, if you just Google us, Brian and Jenny, you'll find us. So mm-hmm. it's not like you have to really just, if you don't remember that. Um, another way is through refineus.org. There is a page for, of coaches. Um, you can find us, and you can read other stories of, what they've gone through too and so if you don't feel like you connect with us you can connect with other couples that Mm -hmm. kind of know what they're doing Mm -hmm. Um, there's so many resources out there uh, that you know people used to never talk about affairs or marital issues and there's so much out there now that that you you don't have to be alone if you choose not to be wonderful wonderful what a great hopeful note to end on thank you so much thanks for having uh, me for yeah for coming in, sitting in with us here in the studio, high above the Mellow Mushroom. Um, And uh, I know that uh, your story is not not unique. I don't know whether it was as big a uh, revelation to you as it was to me to discover that I'm not the only guy who's messed Mm -hmm. up. I'm not the, you know, ours is not the only marriage that ever got sideways. um, I know that among our thousands of listeners there are a good number uh, 
whose, uh, whose story resonates with yours. And I, on their behalf, as well as on ours, I want to thank you for sharing, sharing your story with us. Thank you. We're happy to do it because we know um, just having heard Justin and Trisha's story mm. is what sparked ours ending up where it ended up. So ah. if we can keep that going, that's, it's mm-hmm. worth it. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's it. One broken story helping another. All right, and we'll be back in just a minute here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Well, we are back from this marathon day. Good stuff, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Where did our joviality go? <laughs> well, we want to hear from you. Our mailbag was empty this week, and that, of course, makes Nate feel insecure. Insecurity is one of his trigger. It is your fault if he looks at porn this week. <laughs> so please, send in your messages and your thoughts to... To PirateMonkRadio at gmail.com or SamsonPodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you think, what you want, uh, what you suggest, what you hate, what you love. Send it. We want to read it. And unlike that, if brevity is your thing and you want to do it in 140 characters or less, oh, that's you right. can hit us up on Twitter at PirateMonkRadio. Uh, let us know what you like. You know, interact with us. It's oh. fun. Okay, cool. All right, well, that's it. Until next week, I'm Nate. I'm here with Mondo and Newton, and uh, we're looking at our good friend Aaron. All of us together, on the count of three, are saying goodbye until next week. One, two, three. Goodbye Goodbye. until next week. Until next week.